Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today's A's Plus is all Dave Feldman all the time. We'll break down the A's disastrous weekend after being swept by the Blue Jays and talk about the status of the rotation and the lineup. Plus, we'll go back in time to debate the Cespedes and Donaldson deals, among many other things. Next on A's Plus. Today on A's Plus, we have our favorite recurring uh, character. Are you a character? You are a character. David Feldman with Feldman Fo- Feldy uh, Follies, uh, standalone <laughs> Feldy Follies episode um, because you bring us so much great information. Uh, and David, we first of all we have to know what your impressions are of this last weekend. Not a good one for the A's, getting swept by Toronto, a team that is not really expected to do very much this year. No, that was a bad weekend and a bad weekend all the way around. I mean, there was no hitting, uh, no pitching and just three blah games for the Athletics. They made a nice comeback in the Sunday game late, made some noise. But, you know, even there, earlier in that game, bases loaded, nobody out, and they come out of it with just one run. It's just these opportunities slip away. Uh, They hit no home runs in the series, and that is obviously a problem for this team. Uh, Seven games this year, they have yet to hit a home run. In those seven games, they have yet to win. Um and if you look at the games where they haven't homered, they're averaging 1.9 runs per game. Uh, a team that we've talked about many times relying on the home run ball. If you don't hit them, you're not going to win. Uh, and then especially if you don't pitch, and the starters have just been, uh, except for Frankie Montas, just way under par. Yeah. Well, Brett Anderson had been also very good uh, until uh, the final game against the Blue Jays. He turns his ankle trying to field a ball, which, you know, that he tends to get – these little dings whenever he does come, try to come off the mound to do, to do anything. Um, so it was a little predictable early in the game, too early in the game, that doesn't help. Um, it sounds like it's not necessarily a big deal, uh, but the fact he'd been pitching so well uh, and might have to miss a start potentially, uh, that's not good. Uh, he goes on Daniel Mengden's turn at Vegas, so I presume if they had to, they would probably dip down and, and get Mengden for that outing but um you know that you're right they're kind of down to basically one or two guys in the rotation who are reliable and and then one of them goes out early on with a with an ankle injury and they also made a a, in my opinion a strange decision this week after marco estrada got hurt and they were going to put him on the il which again we know marco hasn't been 100 percent physically all year um he's graded through a lot of his starts and it's just got too much he had nothing on the ball uh, against houston but they made the decision to bring up Chris Bassett. Okay. They didn't need another starting pitcher until either the following Monday or Tuesday because of an off day. So they bring up Chris Bassett. They say, okay, we're going to use him in the bullpen in case, you know, we need somebody there and then we can always decide. Well, there was opportunities for Bassett to pitch out of the bullpen and they didn't use him because they had him locked in to start the Monday start. I don't understand. Right. Uh, because you have this roster spot now that was just basically a dead roster yeah. spot for you don't need the to bring him up until until he's the day he starts. Exactly. You could have brought up Ryan Dole if you needed another bullpen guy. You could have brought up another position player if you felt that was a need. And they needed that because as this week went by and the bullpen got stretched out, uh, you needed another bullpen guy. Yeah. And that, they didn't have it. 
That was my assumption when they called up Bassett was he will be available in the bullpen. And if he's needed in the bullpen, they'll bring up Tanner Anderson or Daniel Mington to make that start. Uh, and you know what? I'm starting to think that they might at some point soon here need to maybe think about doing something with the fifth spot in the rotation. Aaron Brooks, I know the team really likes him a lot. Uh, and he, he, he did have some at least a, one or two nice outings earlier on. But he has not looked good recently. And, uh, you know, Mengden, Anderson, potentially good options there. So I'm not quite sure why they're waiting. You know, maybe maybe they won't. Maybe they will go ahead and, and make the move. Maybe they're just waiting for Edwin Jackson to be ready. But that's going to probably be a couple more weeks. So I, I don't... Uh, it's a little, you know, these games, as, as somebody pointed out recently, these games still count now, too. Oh, it was Mike Fires <laughs> after, after yeah. his disastrous outing on Saturday. He's like, these games do count also. So uh, he said he needs to be better, which he does. He's just been a disaster lately. And he, he said he's confused about what's going on. Usually when you talk to starting pitchers, they have a good sense of what it is that they're doing that's getting them into trouble. It sounds to me like he doesn't even really know where to begin. And that's not a good sign. So um, they, they really need to pull together this rotation uh, quickly. Um, although, as Mark Kotze t- tells us, um, you know, last year they didn't get up together until June and they were just fine. I think maybe they should not, not just kind of wait, wait until June. They might want to address some of this stuff a little earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to always say, well, last year, well, last year, well, last year was a shot in the dark. That's a one in a million season where everything that can go wrong, especially pitching wise, and you still come out with 97 wins. You can't count on that to happen ever again. Um, you need to, to to bring it. You know, you think about since the A's went on that road trip to Houston and Baltimore and Texas, uh, they pitched very well at the Coliseum, right, going 6-2 and two against the Angels and the Red Sox. But since then, their starting pitching ERA is 7.64, which is by far the worst in the majors. Well, and the worst... You know, there's only one other team in the American League with an ERA above seven in that time. That's the White Sox, and no one's thinking of the White Sox as being contender, right? As you said, you have to get it together. And Mike Fires, he might not know what's going on. You've got to figure it out. Um, watching it, the eye test, I'm just seeing him get pummeled on breaking balls. Um, you know, he still works high in the zone with his fastball, but it's still been pretty effective. He's not getting beat up there. But when he goes to the breaking stuff, that's when he's getting clobbered. And I think there needs to be, you know, establish the fastball, maybe use the breaking ball a little bit more off the plate, not trying to throw it for strikes because he does need to change something up because what he's doing now is not working. Yeah. I'm not sure that the, the game plans either are necessarily being followed um, by maybe, you know, some of the guys behind the plate or that once the game gets going, they're not adjusting from the game plan. If his stuff is not, uh, you know, really, if a certain pitch, like you're right, maybe the curveball, he's not putting it where he wants it. Uh, maybe those adjustments are, aren't quite being made. But yeah, he's, you know, he's a better pitcher than this. I'm certainly not suggesting he's a guy that they should look at, a, you know, to to move or anything like that. I mean, this is no, a guy no. who was terrific last year, uh, but he, he's got to get it figured out. Now, sometimes when uh, pitching staff uh, is really off, the offense can also suffer. I, th- I think you get a little bit of guys trying to do too much. Uh, is Do you get a sense maybe that's a little bit of what's going on here on this homestand is maybe the offense is just, okay, we're going to have to score a lot of runs because we're already behind the eight ball. You know, a lot of 
they're down early in games. It, is that is there a sort of a mental aspect to this? Maybe there might be. Um, I'm just seeing uh, a couple guys who are going really poorly right now, um, and for me, that's Kendrys Morales and Jerkson Profar. Um, Morales is one first last nineteen, and Profar two first last twenty one, and Profar has been giving terrible at bats. Terrible, yes. Um, he's you know he's not competing up there, and and you want to see things. So I decided to dig in a little bit to the metrics. Right, that's what everyone's looking at now with all the stat cast data and everything on these two guys, um, and just to see what those numbers say. And for Kendrys Morales, it says he's still hitting the ball hard. He still has one of the highest exit velocities in the league, hard hit percentage in the league. Um, he'd be expected numbers, which I'm not a huge fan in, but some guys look at these and the expected numbers are still in the top half of the league. You're just not getting the results that you'd want, but you're seeing hard hit ball. Right. So and that typically means that'll turn around. Exactly. And that, you know, they talk about how over a long season, if you continue to do what you do, those balls will end up dropping. The other side is Jurickson Profar, and his numbers in those things are in the bottom part of the league. He's not hitting the ball hard. He's not getting any hard hit balls, any exit velocity. It's just been nothing. You're seeing a lot of pop-ups. He is not, he's not doing anything well at the plate, and that is very worrisome. Yeah, that is, uh, that's definitely a problem. And, you know, obviously the lineup is missing Matt Olson. Um, I know, uh, David Forst said, um, on Sirius the other day that they're hoping to get him back in two weeks. That seems a little quick to me. Uh, Olson told me right now, it's just a matter of pain tolerance, but he's just started swinging the bat. The one concern in my mind is we know, um, really from history with, with hamate breaks, uh, it takes guys a while to get the strength back in their hand and wrist. Uh, and if he comes back a little bit too soon, the, the risk isn't, um, you know, injury. It's just that he, he might really struggle for a while. You know, if he's, he's a big power guy, if the strength isn't there, you want this guy to come back and feel at least close to right. He's not going to probably feel a hundred percent for a couple of months, but you don't want him to feel any pain. You don't want him to struggle initially because that's not going to help. So, uh, Yes, his glove is such a valuable asset. I asked Bob Melvin the other day, is the temptation maybe to get him in there right away just from a defensive standpoint, even if, you know, maybe the hitting is something that comes a little later. And he said, no, you know, we want him to be ready to go when he's in there. We don't want any setbacks. We don't want him playing at sort of essentially half speed. So, um, yeah, I think two weeks seems a little bit early based on um, usual estimates for him eight breaks and, and their return. Uh, but they need him. There's no doubt that the the lineup needs Matt Olson at his the top of his game. I'm just not convinced that's, you know, we it took Marcus Simeon probably more than a year to get back to himself after that broken wrist. They're they're different things, obviously, but um, yeah, a lot of guys it it takes a while for the power to return after a broken hamate bone. Yeah, and I agree with that too, especially with Olson, who's a bit of a of a streak hitter. Um, he needs to get in a good groove. He does have kind of a, a longish swing. Um, so you need him to be pain-free and in a groove to be effective. And as you said, you don't want to just bring him out, out there, put him in the lineup just to have him in the lineup if he's not feeling right, because he will struggle. Although it is and a temptation because he is just a wonderful first baseman. I mean, I would 
you know what, I, if I'm, if I'm the manager, I'm kind of like, you know what, maybe if he's, maybe he'll walk some and he'll play great first base. Maybe that's a, that's a plus. I can totally see that line of thinking. I'm just not sure that that's what they'll do based on what Bob Melvin said. Yeah. I mean, I can see it too. And there is that temptation. I don't, I don't think they should do that. I think this is a guy who goes to Las Vegas once he's healthy and try and get that swing right. You have 20 days to do it. And as soon as, you know, as you feel like he's in a groove, he's not, you know, he's not going to be pain free for a while. It's just going to be a pain management thing. But if he can be effective with it and feel good at the bat, uh, then is when I'd bring him into the lineup. I just, it's so hard. You rush these guys, especially a beginning of a season injury. Because remember, this was happened in Japan, and it was already a shortened spring anyway. Right. Um, so you didn't even have your full spring training, and now it's spring training all over again for, for Matt Olson. So patience is a key with him, I believe. Yeah, I would give him really honestly the full 15 days at, at Las Vegas. I think that's what uh, a position player uh, assignment can be. It's some, something around that uh, two weeks, essentially. Um, I, you know, let him get, get in the groove. I mean, if he goes, if he goes down there and he looks fantastic, obviously, you know, fine, right. great, bring him back. But, uh, if he looks like he needs it, I would, I would max it out. I don't, yes, these games count. I just said that a few minutes ago, but <laughs> he's too important. I think to, uh, to bring him back when he's not, he's not really ready to go. The A's did have some good news in this last week. Um, it's not all been doom and gloom. Uh, the Chris Davis contract, very nice to see. It's been a long time coming. They've been talking for a long, long time. We knew, David, that he likely was going to be back next year, no matter what the A's. Uh, I can't imagine they would not have made him a qualifying offer. I can't imagine he would not have accepted a qualifying offer. So I think we knew that he was he was likely going to be back next year. The fact he is now back for, with a two-year extension the length through the length of the whole deal, which includes this year, it's 50 million. So that's the second biggest contract uh, after the Eric Chavez deal. So that's not nothing. Um, at the same time, you know, a lot of people have been like, finally, they're finally doing it. Well, you know, it's a two year extension. They actually did do that with Mark Ellis. They did that with uh, Coco Crisp. You know, there, there have been guys that have had a couple of years tacked on. This is not a five or six year deal. And those are the sort of the ones that I really, those are the ones I want to see. I want to start seeing long-term deals for guys like Chapman and Olsen and, and, uh, you know, some of the, the really key young position players. I'm not sure we're going to see any of those. I'm not sure that, uh, David Force did kind of say something like, well, I guess this puts the pressure on me because we've been saying we got to do Chris first and now Chris is done. But to me, those are the real keys. What, what do you make of that? Well, I think it's, it's excellent that they did this um, and I agree it's, it's not the long extension, but I think it's, it's a, it's the right extension. Chris Davis is 31 years old. Um, so now you lock into two more years. It is the second highest contract by year that a DH has ever gotten. Uh, Victor Martinez got 17 million from the Tigers in a per year basis. And this is 16.75, um, for a DH only. Um, and that's where I think people, and I was reading, well, the A's got such a bargain and Chris Davis left money on the table. And I'm not sure that he did, to be honest with you. Yeah. Maybe you know he what? Yeah. People are looking at like Harper and Machado. Chris Davis is a one, one way player. He's a DH. The DHs are not making that kind of money. He might've left a little on the table. You know, certainly he's, he does leave the majors and homers over, you know, essentially the last four years, but, um, he is a DH. Yeah, and there's just not, and then what we saw, especially this last offseason, there's not a big market and big money for guys like this. Uh, when Nelson Cruz signed for, what, $14 million with the Twins, 
yes, Nelson Cruz is older, but that's still the same position, a one-trick a one trick guy who's just going to DH. Um, so I think for both sides, it was really smart. It's smart for the A's because you have your power hitter, a guy who loves being in Oakland, who's been very effective, who could do something that hasn't been done very often, and that's 40 homers in four straight years. Um, and for Chris Davis, he doesn't have to go in the free agent market and first find there's a depressed market for a guy at his position, maybe not get what he wanted. Also, if he goes to another team, uh, as your big free agent signing, there's different expectations on him as well. Not, he's not a guy who likes to be in public and, and be the face of a franchise. He likes to do his thing and kind of be under the radar. He goes somewhere else. That's not going to be the case. So I think for both sides, it was a really good deal. Yeah. Um, and a good money point. But you're right. It's not. It's, it's when the A's start locking up Matt Chapman and locking up Matt Olson. That's when the extensions are going to get exciting. And we see with other teams. I think the A's would really like to do with Chapman. Um, I think it gets done. I really do. I think for the first time, I can say, uh, I think they're going to get something done with Chapman eventually. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be up to Chapman to make sure it happens because, you know, I've had talks with various different representatives from all, all the players. And I'm just going to say that my impression from all of them, not necessarily naming any one agent in particular, wink, wink. Um, the idea <laughs> now is this is a young players game. The guys that are making their money when they come out on free agency and free agency are guys who are still young. So I think that a lot of the big name agents don't necessarily want to sign away any free agent years. They want their guys to come out of free, you know, as free agents at the age of 27, 28, 29 in there, not 30, not 31. That 30 mark seems to start to be the killer for big contracts. So, uh, you know what, maybe they do a long-term deal that takes them through arbitration. I think the A's have to buy out a year or two of free agency. That's the way it really makes it worth their while. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. If it's going to, it's going to be somebody like Chapman or Olson, one of the actual players, directing their agent and saying, look, this is really what I want. This is absolutely what I want. Uh, And good agents will listen to their clients, of course, and they will do, you know, know, Sean Doolittle's, I'm not, you know, obviously it was well below market value. Um, and the union expressed huge concerns about it because it was so below market value. But he said, look, I've got this long injury history. I'm really happy. I want to stay. I want a long-term deal. Uh, I want to have my future guaranteed with guaranteed money, even though it is below market value. And his agent said, you know what? Great. And the union said, you know what? Great. I think the A's have to have players like Chris Davis who say, this is where I want to be. Let's just make it happen somehow. And I think that's what it's going to take with guys like Chapman and Olson, because the big name agents want their guys coming out on the market when they're 28, 29. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you said, to make these extensions work, you do have to buy out a year or two at a free agency. Buying out the arbitration years is nice, but it's not really anything. You already have control of these yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit of cost, potential cost control, but a little bit of savings. And you, of course, you know, avoid the the possibility of some unpleasant arbitration hearings. Nobody likes that. Um, So that's nice, sure. But yeah, it doesn't do anything in terms of, you know, how long you're going to see a guy in that uniform, for sure. Right, because he was going to be there anyway. And you know what uh, what helps when you want to keep guys and buy out those free agency years is to have a winning team. Guys are more likely to stay or want to stay if you're winning and they feel that way. Um, 
So that's where, as we go in April and May, you want to see the A's do things to help this team win games because not only is it it's better for everybody, it's also better at keeping these players and wanting and having them want to be here. Yeah, very good point. Now, we've talked about this a lot over the years, David. Just signing a guy to a long-term deal, it doesn't, you know, the A's have been hesitant for a long time and not just people think like, oh, they're cheap and they don't spend money. It's not just that. There was a run for a while, uh, 10, 12 years ago, where they were kind of routinely you know, for the, obviously there's the Eric Chavez deal, but they were kind of routinely signing some guys either through arbitration or at least for a few years, three, four year deals. Um, and every single one of them seemed like they almost immediately got hurt. Obviously, Eric Chavez struggled terribly with injuries. You know, the, the much of that contract. Bobby Crosby almost immediately got hurt when he signed a deal. And, and you can kind of go on and on and on. Um, there are huge risks to long-term deals. Uh, and the A's are a team that can't afford to make very many mistakes. So, you know, this is not just a, you know, w- w- we need to save money. We're going to nickel and dime. We're going to trade guys the second, you know, they they start to get expensive. There are actual real business reasons they've been hesitant to do things like this. Yeah, it, it is a risk to lock up a huge amount of money on a player and have that player go down, especially with pitchers. Um, I mean, we saw that right away with, with Brett Anderson and Trevor Cahill. After they got their extensions, uh, they were off the mound. They weren't pitching. Yep, um, almost immediately. I mean, it was like clockwork for a while there. The A's would sign somebody to a deal, and they'd almost immediately get hurt. Yeah, and it, it's a risk. Now, position players, you know, Chavez, here's a guy who played almost every day uh, for the first part of his career, and he signs the deal. Um, and then we never saw him really after from 07 to 10, he was barely on the field. Um, they got nothing out of that money, uh, which is sad because, you know, obviously Chavez was a fan favorite. He was one of the most productive third baseman of his time. Uh, Gold Glover, no doubt, but they got nothing. It's such a risk on these guys. And that's why you have to be smart. You're not dealing with unlimited funds like many of these teams are where they can, they can eat dead money. I mean, look at Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays this year were paying like $50 million to three guys who aren't even on their team anymore. Um, the A's aren't in a situation where they can make mistakes like that. So they do have to be smart. Chapman seems like a safe bet, right? He uh, does, although he does have this history now of a lot of little hand injuries. I mean, uh, none of them are indestructible. Um, Chris Davis, yeah. fairly short, you know, two years, and he has been on the field almost the entire time, and he's a DH injury Risk goes a little less. Um, I You would think that Olsen and Chapman are very good risks, who guys who are in great shape, prime of their careers, but you just don't know. I This is not, the A's would love to wrap these guys up, by the way. Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt. I think they would probably do deals for as long as they possibly could with either one of them. But you know what? This system, as it exists now, and I do think we will probably see huge changes in the next CBA if the players are smart, Having six years of service time is perfect in modern baseball for a team like the A's. You get a guy in his prime, essentially, because the game is moving younger and younger. Uh, and then it, toward the later stages of their career, when they're going to break down more and when their performance might start to decline, that's right around there when their service time is coming up. So uh, by and large, depending, you know, if the guys especially come out of college or something and is a little bit later when he, when he first... Um, comes into the big leagues. So 
uh, right now this system actually kind of benefits the A's and maybe they don't have to wrap up too many guys, but my goodness, you look at somebody like Chapman, who is a potential MVT, MVP type player. I think you got to do it. Yeah. I, and you know, for the good of the team and the good of the feeling of the franchise where they're still battling this, you know, perception and it's not wrong about them getting rid of all their good players. I think the Josh Donaldson sting still exists because here's a guy they would have had three more years of control with that they traded away when they really didn't have to right. in the fans eyes. And he was I in think his prime, the, but look what's happened since he broke down. He did. But again, as, as you called after those last three years, right? He wanted MVP. after those last three years. That's right. You keep this. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I thought this about the Cespedes trade too. Obviously he was only, it would have been under team control only one more year past that. But uh, I remember when he, he was signed, Billy Bean said, this is the kind of guy we cannot acquire. We cannot find these players. We cannot sign these kind of players. This is a five-tool star. And he's, he, he hinted then, this is a guy we're going to keep through the length of this contract for that reason. And they didn't. There's nothing wrong, I don't think, with hanging on to a guy through the length of a contract if he's that level of player. Sure, you know, nice to get pieces back, but there's no guarantees there. Look at the the Donaldson trade. You know, Barreto's the only one still left, and it's certainly everyone hopes he will be the player they, that the A's think he will be. Um, but right now, the returns on that are, for losing three years of Josh Donaldson, I don't think are good enough. Um, Cespedes, they wound up with nothing beyond that year. You know, they had Lester for the postseason, essentially, and that was it. So uh, I, I think, you know what? There's nothing wrong with letting a deal go run run the end of its course. I'm sure they would disagree with me hugely on that, but uh, I think when a guy is giving you that much on both sides of the ball, go for it, keep him. A hundred percent. There was that was the one that will always get me. Cespedes was just that was being greedy, thinking that they needed more starting pitching to win the World Series. They got way ahead of themselves with that trade. Um, you know, there's only been two times in modern baseball where a team is a first place team has traded a three or four hitter in July or August. Yeah. You know, Cespedes with the 2012 Oakland A's and Jose Canseco with the 1992 oh, Oakland A's. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. For an um, obvious reason. And we saw what happened. You know, the, it's interesting because I think the A's front office, uh, they would probably admit that the Donaldson deal was one that, uh, you know, in retrospect was not maybe their most successful. They absolutely to a man will say they are a hundred percent still behind the Cespedes deal. They thought it was the right move. And really, you know, it kind of goes back to Jason Hamill. If he is at all decent after that trade, some are getting some margin Hamill that first month, he was abysmal. Um, and I think if he'd been decent, they probably don't do it. They really genuinely felt like they needed one more starter. And of course, the second they got John Lester, Jason Hamill turned it around and was fine. <laughs> or you could say it was Drew Pomerantz punching a, you know, breaking his hand with a punch in the wall. I, you know, yeah. uh, uh, they did really genuinely feel they needed one more starter. But I think you're right. I think they got a little ahead of themselves. The knock on the ace run office in the past 20 years has been, they can't get out of the first round where, you know, obviously they go, went to the ALCS, but once, but uh, you know, they, they can't make it all the way. They, they can't win the big one. I think they felt like with a dominating rotation, they could. Uh, and that was why they moved Cespedes, but the lineup absolutely fell Whoa. apart without Cespedes. I mean, you could see yeah. it. They lost 
all of their confidence there there were a number of injuries so that a lot of other mitigating factors with why the lineup went south but i have never seen a good lineup absolutely plummet the way that one did after Cespedes left and the the mood in the room was completely different and when you bring in a big name guy like Lester halfway through sure it's it's great to have one more pitcher but a pitcher's once every five days and it takes a while for a guy to kind of meld in with the team and that one I'm not sure ever necessarily really happened because it was a guy who wasn't playing every day uh so it was a weird one that was a weird one I'm not sure how we got onto this tangent but I could talk about the Cespedes and Donaldson trades all day yeah, I mean, you had the best team in baseball in 2014. Um, I might have said 2012 earlier, obviously 2014. Um, and you take away your dynamic player. And dynamic players, as you, you know, quoted Billy Bean, those are guys you, you can't get. They're so tough. You have to either get lucky with them through your system, through the draft. It's not something the A's are going to be able to buy. But they got that with, with the ONS Cespedes, dynamic player who changes everything and changes the lineup. He affects guys in front of him and guys behind him. And you subtract that from the lineup, and it just—it's really hard to continue the success that you had. Um, you know, I watch good teams now, like Houston, and you look at the dynamic players that they have. This is a team that is, is floating in them with with Jose Altuve and George Springer and Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman. I mean, you just don't see lineups like this, and that's why Houston is as good as they are. Uh, when the A's took away their dynamic player, it just fell apart in 2014. It's just. Uh, it's still such a sore spot because you had the best team in baseball going to the all-star break, right? You had seven all-stars. This team was rolling. Uh, you made the, the smart, smarter deal, which was a brilliant deal. Brilliant deal. Um, still brilliant. Yes. Still brilliant. Um, and then you do the Cespedes and it falls apart. Injuries did happen. Brandon Moss ended up having a terrible August trying to battle through these injuries. Uh, just everything going, going wrong in August. Uh, not only do you not win the division, now you're a wild card team. You're not even the first wild card team. You got to go on the road for the wild card game. I mean, it's just it was just a disaster, really, from the moment that trade happened. Yeah, it really was. And then the wild card game, which was uh, as as entertaining the game as you'll ever see in your life, but oh boy, painful for Ace fans for sure. Um, well, no, I, I really don't know how we got off onto that tangent, but <laughs> let's let's talk something again, a little bit brighter. Las Vegas. Oh my goodness! Is this the best minor league team ever assembled? They seem like this they never good, lose. They've got a brand new ballpark. I mean, like everything is just in in Las Vegas land. All things are good. Yeah, you know, Las Vegas Aviators are fourteen and four. They have a team batting average of three oh seven with twenty seven bombs in only eighteen games, and we have some guys who are hitting the ball really, really well. We've talked about Mark Payton before. His power numbers have dropped a little bit, but he's still hitting 389. Uh, you want to talk power, you might want to talk Seth Brown, an A's draft pick from 2015, who, who had a 30 home run season at Midland a couple years ago. Seth Brown is hitting 323 with seven homers. He had a three homer game last week. Uh, first baseman, big left handed hitter. Nice to see a guy uh, has gone up the ladder and has been successful at all his stops. But I think the name down there that is starting to force the A's hand, and they have to be thinking about this, is Sean Murphy. Yes. Yes. You know, Sean Murphy, uh, you're, you're getting nothing right now out of Nick Hundley um, as, your, as your second catcher. And Fegley, now that he's playing every day, you're starting to see his bat slow down a little bit. Right? And he's adjusting to being an everyday player. But Sean Murphy down at Vegas is hitting 373. And right now in his last eight games, 
of an eight-game hitting streak. He's hitting 424 with a homer, two doubles, a triple. All right, so now he's starting to show some power as well. He's going to force the A's hand if he continues to hit this way. Yeah, and you know what? It's The hitting is really secondary. He is a superb catcher. He is better behind the plate than either of the two the A's have now. He calls a great game. Pitchers love him. He's got a real feel for dealing with a guy on a given day, kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit with fires. Um, I think Sean Murphy is a guy who kind of um, almost instinctively, intuitively can work with a guy um, when maybe he's he, he's doesn't have his best secondary stuff or his fastballs. He's not looking at his fastball. He really, um, you know, the pitchers love him. It, that's his strength is behind the plate. Uh, and uh, the A's don't, you know, it seems like, when Fegley's hitting, you know, he's not necessarily always going to give you uh, what you're looking for behind the plate. He's got some strengths for sure. Don't get me wrong. Um, but but Sean Murphy is on another level. Uh, and Nick Hunley, as you said, has just been, he's just not giving him anything. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, and I think when you've got a guy who plays, we talked about this earlier on a podcast, when you've got a guy who plays four or five days a week, like a Buster Posey, and you're playing once a week, you know, he's not a bad option. But this is not, you know, this is more of a split time situation. And so far it has not um, suited him as as well as, as you would necessarily hope. Um, so maybe they turn around. Now I've asked a few times on Murphy and when the, what they kind of think the timetable is. I, my impression is they still do not want to rush him. He's hitting great guns. I think they'd like to see it a little bit longer. Um, I'm not sure that they would do the real service time manipulation, which is trying to get him through. So you, you know, you don't wind up with super two status, which really doesn't matter. You still wind up with the, the same once you're through the first few weeks, you still get the extra year of service time, which is the real big deal. Super two, you're just going to save some money. I don't think they're going to try to, you know, make sure he does not get super two status. I could see him up sometime next month, but I don't think we're going to see him here in the next week or two. I could be wrong, um, and and I think it will it'll be a great development when if and when they bring him up. I'm really excited about about Sean Murphy. So uh, I just I just think that they're probably going to give him a little bit longer time in Vegas. Not a lot, but a little bit more. And then, you know, in the bullpen, you got some guys down there pitching very well still. Ryan Dole, uh, now it's on nine and two-thirds innings down there. He's only walked two. He struck out 14. Um, we talk about the A's needing some bullpen help. That's a name that is going to keep coming up. Um, as again, you want your guys in the minors to kind of force their way back up to the team. And, and Dole's doing what he's been asked. Uh, the other guys are going to have to make a decision on pretty soon is Jerry Blevin. Yeah. Um, and Blevins has pitched really well down there. Um, two walks and 13 strikeouts and seven and a third inning. He, the only run he's given up was on a home run. Um, left-handed reliever and Ryan Buchter has not been great. He has uh, not very been. inconsistent. Yeah. And I think the A's need another left-handed down there. And, you know, Jerry Blevins, the A's brought him in here for this, this insurance to have another lefty. They're going to have to make a decision on him soon because we know Blevins does have an opt-out in his contract. Well, what do you do then in the bullpen? Because the only guy I think um, with options out there is Wendelkin, who has been mostly pretty good. Um, he's had, you know, he's had a misstep here or there. The stuff is fantastic. Um, and I think he's really potentially a, a very bright uh, spot in the bullpen. Uh, the guys who have struggled a little bit more, you know, Bookter especially being left-handed, isn't going anywhere. Um, I agree with you. They definitely need another left-hander, and I would love to see Blevins up before I think his his next out. I think is at the end of this month from his contract. Um, 
but uh you know that then you have to look at guys like who have not you know maybe some of the older guys that have struggled um Soria's on a two-year deal so uh even though he has had some you know a couple really dreadful outings I don't see him going anywhere so I'm not quite sure where the flexibility comes from you know in the bullpen to make a move right now uh that's going to be very interesting to see I don't I could see them saying goodbye to Liam Hendricks um they kind of did it last year when they sent him down True. um I I can see that if you needed a spot I don't think they're gonna give up with Rodney or Petit right now um you know, Rodney's gotten a chance to pitch a little bit in, in soft landing situations with not a lot of pressure on him, and he's been fine. Uh, they're going to need to see if he can get out of a, a high-pressure situation. Um, and if he, you know, if he fails again, I could see, you know, again, the A's eating that contract at that point. Yeah, a little bit so like a uh, Santiago Casilla situation. 100% like Santiago And Casilla. you remember last uh, year when they finally did kind of decide, okay, we're going to have to part ways with Casilla much as we love him. Uh, that's about, about when they f- sort of started to show signs of turning things around. Um, you know, yeah. they kind of got the bullpen settled a little bit better. They got the, more of an alignment they liked in the bullpen. Uh, and sometimes you have to make some hard decisions out there. Um, you're eating a little bit of money there. I'm still a little baffled about picking up that $5 million option on um, Rodney. Uh, so, yeah. If you got a guy who's pitching well in soft situations, but uh, in tougher situations has been erratic, it's not 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 necessarily well. You can only pitch in these blowouts, so (laughs) you'd hope most of them could do that. Hey, Kendris Morales looked perfectly fine in that situation the other day. You know, you forget that this guy, uh, even at an older age for a baseball player, he's a really good athlete. He looked he looked like a pitcher out there. I know he did pitch in Cuba. he was throwing the ball pretty consistently in, in 85, 86. Location uh, pretty decent, part, yeah. <laughs> pretty decent and looked comfortable out there. Uh, that's why we talk about Kendry's struggles, and, but the fact that he's still hitting the ball hard and he's barreling it up, we really like to see his luck turn Yeah, uh, because the A's need that. For this offense to roll, Kendrys Morales hitting in the in the middle part of the lineup, uh, he needs to come through with some big hits. He, yeah. he over his last eight with scoring position. Uh, he hit a ball really hard yesterday in the ninth inning. Looked like he had a chance, and it died at the warning track. But more of that, more production from him, and that will go a long way. Yeah, and you know what? He's one of those really nice additions to the clubhouse, too. I didn't really know him much, except obviously we've seen him a ton as an opposing player. But he's terrific in the clubhouse. He's a an older player that the younger players feel really comfortable going to for advice ideas he's really 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 calm kind of cool guy uh, you know like an edwin jackson kind of guy last year but right. on the you know the position player front just uh I, I think they they absolutely love him there i don't see any scenario when she stays and when matt olson comes back i mean you just don't need both of them but uh you know i kind of hope if if the a's can't move him somewhere and they probably can but if they can't, I hope they find a way to, to convince him to maybe take a minor league assignment because, boy, first of all, he'd be great for those guys in Vegas. But second, he'd be a really nice piece to still have around in case there's a need down the line. But it's just too much duplication when Olsen comes back. Yeah, so if you're going to carry an eight-man bullpen, which the A's are going to do, there's no spot because you only have a three-man bench. You can't have a one-dimensional player. Although now he's kind of a two-way guy now, so he can be the eighth believer. <laughs> Stick him in the bullpen. Uh, there you go. We problem solved. There it is. <laughs> uh, well, Feldy, um, 
as always, a delight. Uh, we will try to talk to you again in the next week or two and your own standalone Feldies Follies uh, edition of A's Plus. A pleasure as always. Thank you. It's like getting my own spinoff. I like it. Your own, yeah, your own spinoff, the Feldy spinoff. Do we have to change the name of the whole thing from A's Plus <laughs> to Feldies Follies? Maybe. I need a new theme song. Uh, yeah. Mm, Tony Fry can only write so many theme songs. <laughs> All right, Feldy, we will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thanks, Susan. David Feldman, an official scorer and stats expert, appears with us regularly throughout the season on A's Plus. Our producers today are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. We'll be back again tomorrow with former A's outfielder and current team quality control coach Mark Kotze. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.